Welcome to the Reggie McNeil Podcast, where we explore what it means to seek God's kingdom here on earth. Join us on our journey to become more aware of and encouraged by God's work in and around us. Hey gang, welcome to the podcast. I'm thrilled today to have a friend of mine, Jeremy Petrocini, who is with the Gallup organization and it's where I met him, but it's not all about his life, although it's a major fixture of where his life is now. And Jeremy, I want our folks to, uh, to to meet you, and I want you to introduce yourself because the stuff I would say about you, you know, might not be the best way to uh, let folks know about you. So let's give you a chance, and then I'll edit it. Yeah, I love, love that, Reggie. Yeah, I'm super excited to be on, everybody, and I know we're all coming from different parts of life and work, but obviously there's something about this this message of of kingdom living or, or bringing God's kingdom here that unites us. And uh, as Reggie said, I, I work at Gallup. So many of you know the Gallup poll. And uh, one of my colleagues says we've been interrupting dinner since 1935. That's when, <laughs> when we call you to ask you all those silly questions about who you're voting for and quality of life. But uh, I've been at Gallup 15 years. I work as a senior consultant, um, have the opportunity to work with, with leaders and, and companies, Fortune 1000, if across industries around the world, education, government, business, um, faith. But the, the cool thing for, for me too is my journey to uh, Gallup, and many of you may be familiar with the Clifton Strengths Assessment, actually formerly was branded as Strength Finder. But I had spent uh, a big chunk of my life in a ministry called Young Life. It's actually where I put my faith in Christ and um, worked professionally for Young Life as an area director for seven years and then was recruited to work as the associate pastor of a church that my wife and I were part of. And I was, I was not qualified for that, Reggie. Most, most, the common thread is that I'm not qualified for most of the jobs. I, I started to say, you know, what, what makes that unique? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no seminary degree, but they, they knew, and my, my pastor there was a good, good friend in Michigan, but he, he knew I was passionate about developing leaders and had done yeah. that in Young Life. And and uh, we were using Gallup Strength stuff and Gallup's little culture, twelve question assessment, and uh, and then my wife and I were invited to be part of a mosaic church plant in uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And as many, if you're a church planner out there, some of you that have helped start churches, uh, church didn't have funds to to hire a whole bunch of us. So with yeah. some good buddies, uh, we started this church, and and I took a what I called a tent making job with Gallup thinking I'd do that for a year or two. And here I am 15 years later, still, uh, still doing it full time. So, but you know, Jeremy, I, I, I've known you through some of the different parts of that journey. And it's just been fun really to see how God has, has placed you and positioned you. And, uh, and you and I've talked about this a number of times. None of us plan our lives. Well, I, well, I shouldn't say that. I do know a few people who plan their life and they're generally pretty boring. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, I mean, uh, or they're mean as a snake because they get exactly what they want. <laughs> I, I find that most of us, you know, just prepare and say yes to God. And now what, you know, as the, as the right order. And so watching you say yes, uh, but I want, it has just been, uh, I mean, it's, it's helped me in my own walk. And so I want, but I, I want to explore the Gallup thing for just a moment. Cause when you say I'm with Gallup, I mean, yep. talk about, give us a couple of examples of clients and what you do with them, because I want our listeners to understand how you're intersecting with people all over the globe. 
Yeah, so there's there's clients. Uh, you've probably heard of some of these, Reggie, like the NFL, the National heard Football of, League yes. in the U.S. National Flower like League. Yes, but right. a lot a lot of these big companies they just spoke at an event, so everybody you know they they have told the world they're working with us. But um, you know, companies that really are committed to creating a what we'd call a thriving and engaged culture, and thriving is more about people's personal health and well-being. Engagement is. Are they not just showing up with their hands, but are they showing up with their ha hands, their hearts, and their minds? And it's what's pretty cool is Gallup's not a faith-based organization, but when we're use, using language like that, for those of us that are all about the kingdom or stepping back and going, man, that sounds really familiar. That's yeah. all, everything you got, not just your exactly. hands. So uh, with organizations like the NFL and others, we do a, a culture survey. Typically organizations will do it every, every six months. And then we're presenting data, and I'm, I'm one of the guys that gets called in to present in the NFL case. It was with the commissioner and his team to say, here's current state, here's future state where you guys are saying you want to be. And then we do a lot of leadership development, whether that's one-on-one -on -one with leaders, whether it's our, we get a boss to coach manager leader training that myself and several of my colleagues deliver that all over the world. But we're basically developing leaders to lead. Um, and I reference in my own brain, at least back to Romans 12 a lot, where it just talks about that. If you're, if you're called to encourage, then encourage. If you're called to teach, then teach. If you're called to lead, then, then lead. And so really at Gallup, we get paid to assess where organizations are at and then uh, help leaders to lead. So, yeah. You know, I, I, I knew your former um, CEO and, um, you and know, Don Clifton. Clifton, we were friends and, mm -hmm. and, um, I never met him, Reggie. He had passed away when I joined Gallup 15 years ago. So you're, you've got a one up on me there. Well, I mean, just a rem remarkable human being. And um, I've written about him and some of my stuff. And and um, I still have some correspondence from him. Yeah, I just treasure. And then, but but and, and he was a, a faith person. And yep. um, um, and and but I, I remember uh, learning uh, when I was there, that although most of the name recognition for Gallup comes from the polls, uh, most of your work um, and even income at that point, I'm, I don't know how that shifted now, you know, comes from these leadership engagements. And, yeah. uh, and, and to me, that was a real learning to see how really uh, positioned Gallup is to help people. And, and you're right, these are all kingdom principles, helping people figure out what's in their backpack you know, what has God sent them into the world with? Because you and I both know these strengths, these talents, uh, you know, the, we come hardwired with, uh, yep. you know, with us. And, and so that's, if you actually believe we're created on purpose, you know, for purpose, then helping people figure that out is such a great clue about their own kingdom contribution that God wants to make, as well as the life he, that he wants them to experience, which of course is, you know, my, my whole thing about the kingdom. Uh, and so you're, you're helping people do that. And, um, and that's a real kingdom work. I also like your engagement piece. Let's talk about that a little more because that's kind of code language. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember mm -hmm. when, you know, Gallup was first developing, uh, you know, the 12 uh, questions, it's really 13, I think, but anyway, yeah. uh, so yeah, help, help us know, see that a little better. Yeah. So what, what's interesting is that, you know, most companies and a lot of us have experienced this at some point in our, our career. Most, most companies do some kind of annual employee survey. And back in the eighties, as you said, Dr. Clifton's research around leadership development 
um, pulling out the best in leaders. I mean, that's language he would use a lot is when you're developing, you're not putting something in somebody that wasn't already there, you're pulling out what's already there. And that, that whole idea of whether it's an assessment like Clifton Strengths that can help do that, one of the things that we know and with that culture or engagement survey is Gallup, again, we, we discovered that 70% of Fortune 500 companies did some sort of annual survey. Most of them actually, and this is really interesting, Reggie, most of them we, we then asked, does it help you? And 75% of them said they felt like they were worse off afterwards. Yeah. So they're asking everybody and we'd said, well, what, what's going on there? Well, first they asked too many questions, average 150 plus questions. Oh, yeah. Secondly, secondly, they're asking things like, hey, Reggie, do you get paid enough money? Right. Do you like the coffee that you drink? You know, they're yeah. asking, do you want more, better benefits? You know? Yeah, crazy. Yeah. So they're, they're asking stuff that just was like swinging at the hornet's nest because they weren't really going to do anything about it. And Gallup just, again, being a polling company and Dr. Clifton's you know, company he started actually bought Gallup in the 80s and was using that polling, you know, kind of muscle to, to say, hey, we can help you better assess something. And so when we began to say what creates your absolute best and when any organization says, here are my stars, here's how I describe them. Those are the people that we'd say they aren't just satisfied. That's what that 13th question is, by the way, is yeah. are you satisfied with the company you work at? But they say, are you not just satisfied with the company, but are you engaged? And when we say engaged, we're saying, it's not just a job again where I'm showing up with my hands, but I'm showing up with my heart and my mind. I'm passionate about the work and I'm thinking about the work, maybe even when I'm not at work. And that doesn't, you don't have to be a senior executive to be in that role, but you're saying, hey, we could make the manufacturing plan at Ford Motor better and, and here's some ideas I have. So somebody that's engaged, that star, we actually said, if you had more of them, we actually would define them as engaged versus there's two other buckets of employees. We say there are some that are actively disengaged which Dr. Harder, our chief scientist, says, I wish, th wish they were just disengaged because then they'd be sitting there with their arms folded. But if you put them in a rowboat, they're not sitting with their arms folded. They're actually rowing the opposite direction. Yeah, again, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. And churches have these, by the way, too. We've got yeah. those yeah. engaged and those actively disengaged. And then there's a whole bunch of people, about 50% of the world are in this middle bucket that we call not engaged. They're just showing up. They're sort of living life in cruise control. And so Gallup, again, we... We figured out what is it that those best, those stars have in common. And there were 12 things. Again, you can Google the Q12 and Gallup Q12 and you'll find those questions. But it's things like, have they received recognition and praise? Uh, do they feel a personal connection to the mission of the organization? Um, is there somebody at work that cares about them as a person? I mean, it's stuff that you and yeah. I just go, yeah. those are human factors, right. live life to the full stuff, right. you know? So, yeah. Well, when you think about the fact that people spend more time at work than anything else, yep, and and then that most people are not happy uh, with you know, uh, doing, eighty percent of the world, eighty you know, percent of the world are not in that. In 80, yep. Did you say eighty percent? Eighty percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, is when I read those, I'm I'm just astonished. And then those of us who are you know those of you who are listening here who are leaders or let's just say you pastor a church or something, when you look out at your congregation, you're sitting there looking at a bunch of folks that are very unfulfilled, yep. uh, you know, and, um, and so, you know, learning to minister to people who's, uh, who are unengaged or actively disengaged with the very work that they go to every day. I mean, that, that's a new, that's another angle to take. And I think it's why there's a lot, by the way, a, a lot of, um, I don't know, disconnect between pew and pulpit. Yep. Uh, it's it's like I think a lot of people sitting in the pew are thinking, you have no idea 
while you're, you know, exegeting first John, whatever, I got to deal with John tomorrow. Who's my boss. Who just <laughs> rubs me the wrong way for 10 hours. You know I mean? And, and so they, they kind of tune out because they don't think we get it as spiritual leaders. And so I, you know, I, I would take this information uh, if I were listening to this and you have a leadership role and I would, I would try out this information with the folks around you, not just in your organization, but the folks that are on your board and everything else, you know, who say, is this true about your workplace? I, I, I found it to be when I was um, talking with Don about these questions and they're being developed and, and all that, exactly like you, these are human flourishing questions. I mean, this is creating an environment where human beings can come fully alive. And isn't that the plan? I mean, wasn't that God's idea, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if the enemy can use work to discourage us, sap our strength, you know, gosh, that's the kingdom of anti-life, you know, Mm -hmm. that's working against the kingdom of life um, uh, every day. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Reggie. It's, it's that element when, when I, when I have, and again, had the privilege the last 15 years at Gallup um, of coming alongside some of these leadership teams, and they all think they're going to be doing better. Actually, National, National, or International Batteries is a company based down in Dallas, and I didn't realize this until recently. I was actually on a call yesterday with their executive team. Um, they're a faith-based organization. I didn't, know, wow. I didn't know the company that has their green stamp on NASCAR was, you know, wow. but founders, faith-based, I mean, like a Chick-fil-A, and they were just talking about kind of the culture that they've created. They're like, you don't have to be a, a follower of Jesus to work here, but as an executive and leaders and who we are and the culture we create. And it was interesting because they just started measuring engagement and they were saying like, but why aren't we stronger on some of these things? And I said, those are great questions. And probably because you're humans who are being led by humans. And yeah. so for many of us, there's something about if we want to live out that John 10, 10, life to the fullest peace. If we truly believe it's not just God's kingdom someday, and right. we're going to get there. You know, it's, no, it's, it's here on earth, I believe. is I believe you could, you could coach me on that, or the pastors out there could coach me. I think Matthew 6 says it's, it's here on earth, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. So it's like there's the ability that we could say, are we able to invite people into something more? And like you said, if eight out of 10 people in our congregations or in our workplaces or in our schools aren't, aren't living that out, what can we do to inspire and breed that into them and invite them? And even remove, I often will say, it's like the old Aesop fable where the lion was grumpy because he had, he wasn't a mean lion. He just had a thorn in his paw. And I think there are things that agitate us as human beings. And if other human beings can be the hands and the feet and the voice of, of God that we can come alongside and remove those slivers, um, man, that's, that's, that's going to help people to move into and engage in full life. Well, you know, it's it's interesting, too, um, and Don uh, Clifton used to say, God didn't make people to get work done. God made work to get people done. Yeah. Did I say that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, you got you it. Know, yeah. So the first way is to see people as functional, functionaries, tools, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, some kind of resource that we plug in and crank them through and now spits some output on the other side, but certainly not a person. Whereas you, you go all the way back, you know, to the, to the garden. And and it's not, it's not as if God, you know, uh, planted a garden and then had a a second thought, you know, gosh, I ought to create a a man to work this sucker, you know, uh, a human being, you know, are you kidding? 
So God plants a garden in preparation so that when Adam wakes up, he's got work to do because mm -hmm. work helps us become who we are. And your own senior scientists, of course, have discovered in their well-being survey yep. that, that having meaningful work is the number one correlative to a sense of well-being. I think that's planet-wide, right? Yep. Yeah, we just published a new book actually back in, just came out last month, back in March, um, 20, 2021, Reggie, depending when people are listening to this thing, yeah. this, thing could this, this podcast could last for decades. But the, uh, but the, uh, it's called well-being at work, and it actually highlights exactly what you're saying. That when when we when we talk to people who are in the language there with well-being is thriving, struggling, or suffering. And again, where where people, you know, the really interesting thing with this with this assessment, this is global, um, is one of the things that that and and by the way, there's not third-world countries that are paying Gallup to do this. This is part of Gallup's mission that we just go in and we ask. Right. So that the world will know. What's interesting is we use we use something called the ladder uh, question, and it's we basically say, imagine a ladder in front of you with ten rungs. Which rung of the ladder are you on today? And then we say, now imagine your life five years from now. Which rung of the ladder are you on five years from now? Hmm. If somebody even in the U.S. where we don't have an issue with clean drinking water, I actually have so access to so much. I'm throwing some on my lawn right now in Omaha because it's so hot yeah. today, right? But yeah. That's not my, my concern, but there are people who are just wondering where will they get access to clean drinking water today. They're probably going to be on a lower rung of the ladder just because they're trying to just survive. Yep. Um, yep. But if they envision their life a little bit better, a couple rungs better, we equate that to hope. And Gallup actually uses that language. That's a hope metric. Yep. Um, for some of us, you might be a seven or eight today, but based on the political culture and other things going on and dissension in your church or your family, you're maybe a seven today, but you think you might be a seven or six five years from now. That means there's a lack of hope. Yep. And I think what's cool with that too is as Kingdom Collaborators, I think that was even the name of, of one of your books, right? Where you talked about Dr. Clifton and the strengths work and well-being work. But when we see ourselves as Kingdom Collaborators with everywhere we go, regardless of whether you're paid by a church or a ministry or, or somebody else, I think that's the power of that is we have the ability to instill hope and invite yeah. people to a better future yeah. here and now. And again, it's, that's, that's to me is that power of that well-being research. Well, and, and your use of the word hope, I think hope is such a powerful word. I talk about it all the time uh, with leaders to say, you know, in fact, it's, it's such an easy way to access everybody. I mean, if you ask people what their hopes are, or what their dreams are, you know, they will tell you. And, um, and then my follow-up question is always, well, where, where does that hope come from? For me, I'm, you know, that it's an echo of the kingdom. If we were just, if we had just climbed out of the primordial ooze, you know, why would we have notions that things could be better? I mean, that, yeah. that, that's like the North Star that God's planted in us, this kingdom that says, you know, things should be better. I mean, th this is not all there is. There, you know, there's there's something that we can strive for here. I mean, that that comes from an external source. That's not something that we nope. can just sit around in the mud and generate. Uh, and so, I mean, such an easy way to have a God conversation with with people. Yeah. Why do Why do kindergartners, regardless of their faith upbringing, have these big, crazy, wild, audacious dreams? Yeah. About changing the world, and somehow, again, Dr. Clifton would say this: we've sort of beat it out of them. 
yes. and gotten them to settle with mediocrity by the time they graduate college. We're like, well, no, I'll tell you, no. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, and I'll tell you something else we do too in the church. Uh, not you, not me, of course, but um, <laughs> but you know we we've also squelched people's uh, notion of their capacity. You were just talking about yeah. being people of hope. I mean, that's yeah. why Peter says, "Be ready to give an answer for the hope." that's in you for crying out loud mm-hmm. and, and, and being people of hope right now would be countercultural in America. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're not, we're not struggling for clean water, but boy, are we in a toxic soup of, yeah. you know, uh, all the stuff that's going on and the, the political and, you know, anti-social media and all that stuff. I mean, it's, it, we're in a mess. And, you know, so I can agree with that and just join the course of lament, or I could be a person who, you know, helps bring little slivers of light and hope and encouragement, you know, in that. But but what we've done, and, and one of the reasons I think we don't take that road is we've got this three-chapter gospel. Yeah. In, in most, you know, that there's the creation, then there's a fall, then Jesus comes to fix it, end of the story. I just, I just had a person, a former student, send me a manuscript he's working on, and he literally talked about three... I wrote him back. I don't, I don't think he's going to send me any more of his manual. <laughs> I, I wrote him back. I said, you, you, you need a four chapter gospel. I mean, you know, if, if Jesus work on the cross redemption, but mm-hmm. then there's restoration. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's, I mean, if, if redemption's the end of the story, then just zip us to heaven as soon as we, you know, pray the prayer or whatever, but no, we've got work to do here. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I think uh, that was it, my my understanding of it. And again, being a kid that grew up in Young Life, I knew you know grew up Catholic, knew a little bit about church and God, and again what I had to do or didn't have to do. But it was definitely a someday thing. And and when when I remember some of these Young Life college kids loving on me as a high school kid, and and just explained it to me, I'm like, wait. So basically, the cross is not the end of the story right. or even the end for now. It was the reset button. So like when you reboot your computer. You're like, oh, it's running better now. Like it's it's a it's permission to now live a full, abundant, crazy, awesome life, where we have extravagant meals together and laugh together, and you know, it's like, man, I just think that that's we have huge opportunities yes. to bring that, but we we miss it. Yeah, you're right. Well, and to help others experience that life. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. that's the whole you know, love your neighbors yourself thing. I mean, you know, my gosh, how did we miss this? So, so then we shrink wrapped kingdom stuff to just church stuff. Yep. And, and again, that, that just, it just collapsed the whole um, largeness of, yeah. you know, of the kingdom and what God is up to and how we can participate. And the fact that he's just cut us in on the deal, you know, so that we can, uh, you know, we, we actually know what's going on. I mean, yeah. and we ought to be able to celebrate that. And that was that was my thing too, Reggie. And you know some of this, but just for the audience to hear it, like I was convinced, and I felt like God had called me into ministry. Which, by the way, we could discuss that, debate that all day, right? Aren't we all called into ministry? But yeah, I was right. like, I'm going, I'm going on Young Life staff, which was phenomenal, and and really made me the uh, uh, taught me how to lead. And then working for the church, which again I wasn't qualified for, but they were letting me lead all kinds of stuff. And we saw some God do God do some awesome things in that church and double and almost triple in size. And and uh, and along the way, my wife and I we looked at each other and we just said, Do we have to work for a church or a parachurch organization to be in ministry? 
Right. And we very quickly were like, no. And, and that's where, again, it, we were helping plant this other church, but we're like, well, let's go do something else. Yeah. And what I loved is very quickly in working for Gallup. And again, I thought it'd be a couple of years and then I'd be full time with the church again. Part of what I realized and a buddy of mine from Los Angeles, actually Mosaic LA, he said, uh, he said, Jeremy, you remind me of, and I think it's Proverbs 30, but he said, there's a verse where it talks about a lizard in the king's palace. <laughs> and it kind of snuck its way, you know. I'm like, I barely know enough about football, but I'm standing with the commissioner, you know. But it, what was interesting is I realized that was ministry. That was even what Jesus did, is he found himself not just hanging out at the synagogue and with the religion. Those are the people he was probably annoyed with the most, right? But, right. Exactly. But we all have opportunities. And like you said, that ministry piece and bringing God's kingdom to people that aren't going to come to us on Sunday mornings, or some of them will, but it's like, how do we empower the church to be the church, the people that go to, to all those different ministries of government and work and life and education and our schools. And man, there's just so much power when we see ourselves as ministers. And I don't, I don't know that I'll ever work full-time for a church or parachute. I'm going to keep doing a version of what I'm doing because it just, I feel like it's compelled me to have way more impact with way more leaders than I would if I was just inviting them to me. Absolutely. So. And, and I'm just so glad if I would, I'm looking at the clock. We got to wrap this up. You probably yeah. have high dollar paying, you know, folks that are just <laughs> I'll, bill you. I'll bill you for it. Yeah. Sign you up. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, I am very glad God has you where you are, uh, you know, a roach in the palace or whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you want to graduate up to lizard, you know, uh, that that's a better view, I guess. But uh, you know, I, you're, you just exemplify what it means to be a purposeful viral kingdom agent right where God has you positioned. Yeah. That we don't have to go on, you know, do something weird and, you know, sell everything we have, live under a bridge, you know, for two years or whatever. I mean, all these crazy, no, just where am I placed? Where's God positioned me and how can I be a person of hope and help, you know, right there. So, man, you're a great example for that. And I'm just grateful for um, just to be able to watch what you do and and uh, cheer you on. So thank you for spending the time with us today. Yeah, well, and thank you, Reggie. I know you've written lots of books and lots of great inspiration for for me when I was you know years ago and working at, church, at the church and doing other stuff. But you just empowered us to think different too, which I think is really what it means to repent and to live the life we are called to live. So thank you, man, for everything you're, you're doing. Oh yeah. Well, you're doing the heavy lifting. I'm just running around <laughs> talking. So keep, keep after it, man. We'll, we'll talk later. Awesome. Thank you, Reggie. You bet. Thank you.